does the word intentional mean to you? Well, I don't have any great insights into that. In, intentional means to me it's it's something you want to do and that you uh, plan to do and that you make an effort to do. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Who are you? What do you want from your business and why? Sounds like a super simple question, but I'll tell you what, now after like eight years since selling the family business and thousands of people and interviews and presentations, this question is way harder than most people think. And I'm going to tee up this interview that I recorded with Bo Burlingham a couple years ago because it is his book, Finish Big, is is the first domino that set my entire journey into motion. And so his book, Finish Big, if you've not read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, Bo was the editor of Inc. Magazine um, for seven years, and he's also the um, behind Small Giants. He wrote that book as well, and he's just doing some amazing things in the world. And what happened was he re- I read this book, Finish Big, which I wish I read before we sold, and Bo talks about how 75% of business owners and entrepreneurs are regret essentially the, the sale of their company after they sold, and I was in that camp. And it really, he boiled it down to, Business owners that were happy and that were satisfied with the outcome knew who they were, what they wanted from their business, and why. They were very intentional. And you have to clarify who you are, what you want from the business, and why in order to chart a path to go get it. Because otherwise, you're just waking up and just kind of doing things, hoping that someday you're going to get what you want. If you don't even, especially you don't even know it. There's a Yogi Berra quote that says, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up someplace else. And I don't know how else better to sum it up. And so I want to republish this episode with Bo because it really tees up the why for behind principle one of the five intentional growth principles that is really identifying your drivers as an individual. You have this business that's integrated into your life, high degree of correlation with your identity for the most part of the first time founders and entrepreneurs. And so by understanding our relationship with our business, understanding more about ourselves and our ego and how that's wrapped up into the business, that allows us to then label what we want clarify it, hold those as first principle values that we want to use as decision-making for the future things in the business that might have long-lasting implications like an out-of-the-blue offer, health issues, or employee issues, or the you know time and sacrifice you put into this company. All of that becomes clear of why you're doing it once you know who you are, what you want from the business, and why. So I just can't tell you enough how important this is. And you know, just to kind of tee it up, uh, one last story before I we, we roll into Bo's interview is I do a lot of Vistage presentations, CEO presentations, and keynotes, and from everything from very, very, very successful four generational companies that are huge to first time founders that are doing a couple hundred grand in revenue, and anywhere in between, people have the same issue. And this one woman looked at me, very successful uh, multi generational business, and she goes, "This is after a three hour workshop." She goes. So Ryan, all you're saying is 
I just got to figure out who I am and what I want, and then I can go get it. And it's like, exactly. It sounds so simple, but it's hard work. And doing it now while you have the company allows you then to chart your then valuation towards what you want, which is looking at your exits through the ownership role and the management role and how they're separate and just clarifying all this stuff then will allow you to then say, okay, I want to grow a more valuable business so I can accomplish these things because you've written them down and you're now focused on going and getting them. But first, we're going to start talking about how do we figure out who we are, what we want, why. And that was one of the things about Bo's book was got done with it. I'm like, okay, great. Now, what do we do about this? And the journey with the podcast that we're going on is that's the goal is to help you understand this question, but then how do you put the financials behind it and the strategies? And we're just going to take you on this journey. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Bo Burlingham. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Bo, I am so excited for you to be here. and. I was going through because Jack was just back on the podcast and he actually said that you called him while I was interviewing him. So it was, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun. Cause you know, the rename of the podcast and you know, when I reached out and I'll even give you a little, uh, I'll, I'll warm you up for the audience. Cause you're like, I don't know if I've got anything new to talk about. And I said, you know what, how much I've learned since I read your book, finish big, which we read after we sold the business and what I learned, and I was just like, huh, and how I've gone down on this rabbit hole for the last five years because of the yeah. book and realizing that it was a true, true thing out there for the owners who don't know what they want and why. Uh huh. And I just am so excited to have you on the show again because. Well, I, I sort of feel like I should be interviewing you, Ryan, not the other <laughs> oh, way around. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> um. So you sold the business four years ago, was it? It was in 20, 2014 now. Yep. Yep. So that was, was you and your dad, right? Yep. Yep. And it was uh, July of 2014. And it's... Uh, wow. Yeah. And I, what what year did the, the Finish Big book actually come out? I don't know if I actually remember what year it came out. Uh, I'm not sure I remember either. I think it was in something like... It was sometime around then. I'm not, I, I don't really remember. I could look it up. <laughs> it's all good because you, know, you don't even have to look it up. But the, the point of why I brought that up is because I read it afterwards. It wasn't like the book came out after we sold. It was uh, I read the book uh-huh. after, and I don't even remember who gave it to me. Honestly, it had like it looked like it came from like a used library. Someone that like got it and then gave it to me. And I think it's important for the listeners to to know that because when I read it, it was like, I got this peer into what I had, the emotional journey I'd gone through or was in the process of honestly. Right. And sure. And I think what, you know, cause I've talked about it and I've probably over the years, you know, morphed the stories and we, it's all on record. So we could go and validate <laughs> it, but can you just, you know, almost re- revisit to the audience? Like, why did you write it? Like what came from it? Like, why did, what was the problem that you saw? Cause it's obviously the same problem that I have seen and still see. And it's still there, which is just crazy interesting to me. Well, 
it, it it came about sort of through the back door. I mean, I, I you know, I was uh, writing a column with uh, Norm Brodsky for uh, Inc. Magazine. It was it was a monthly column, and so every month we'd have to sit down and figure out what what we we're going to write about. And uh, uh, one month he came back from a conference where he'd spoken to some people who wanted to buy his business, and he'd sort of laid down some conditions that he didn't think they would agree to. And they said, they didn't bat an eye. They said, yeah, sure, uh, we can do that. And so he, he, he said he, he told me that he thought he was uh, going to go ahead and sell it. Now, this is a shock to me because he always loved his business so much. He loved uh, spending time in it uh, and uh, just working on it. And, and I had a hard time imagining what Norm was going to be like without his business. Um, and uh, so I said, well, why, maybe we should write about that. And he said, yeah, sure, fine. Uh, why not? <laughs> well, you know, we later discovered that there were actually a couple of reasons not to write about um, just a couple selling your business <laughs> in real time. <laughs> But that came later. I mean, that came when he was in the in negotiations, and people would turn to him and say, "If if I tell you this, is it going to wind up in Ink Magazine next month?" Yeah, no, and uh, so not just your neighbor, but like the entire business community, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, so it it it, w it was very interesting. It was interesting experience. One that I don't think either one of us had anticipated or realized was going to happen because it sort of took on a life of its own. I mean, what was going on was that Norm was agonizing about whether or not he really wanted to go through with this. And he went back and forth. And at one point, we asked readers of Inc. Magazine, uh, who were, we knew that there were a lot of people who were following this, and uh, we asked them, you know, what's your advice? What do you think Norm should do? And uh, he got, we got a ton, we got hundreds of emails back, most of them saying, go ahead, Norm, go for it, sell it. And so um, that told me that there was a lot of, that there was, uh, from the response that we were getting to this series of columns, I could see that there was a lot of curiosity about, well, what's this experience like when you go through it? Mm -hmm. And so um, after we got in the end, in the end, <laughs> it was funny because he finally decided, yes, he was going to go through with the sale. And so the editor of Inc. thought that was big news because so many people were watching it. And she uh, put it on the cover, a big uh, cover story uh, saying Norm decides to sell. And it's sort of like the deal of a lifetime. And uh and so that was exciting. And then uh, we still had another column to do for the next issue after that. And so I waited a while and then I called him up and, and said, okay, Norm, what are we going to do next? And he said, well, I decided not to sell the company. I said, what? I, we just told millions of people that you decided you made up your mind that this is a deal of, the, of a lifetime. And he said, well, I found something out that really sat the wrong way with me. Uh, he said, I, they never told me who the real decision maker was. And there was one guy in all our meetings 
who I absolutely hated, and I didn't think I could trust him at all. But he was just one guy among a whole bunch of people, and so I didn't really give it too much thought. And then I just found out that he is the guy who's going to make all the decisions about honoring any agreements. And I don't trust him. I don't think he's going to, I don't think I can count on him to do it. I mean, they made a lot of commitments vis-a-vis my employees, and uh, I don't, I can't trust them to live up to that. And I said, okay, well, I, I guess. Uh, we got um, a column. <laughs> we I, guess, gotta... I, I guess we got a column. <laughs> and it's true, the next column was about how he decided he wasn't going to sell. At least he wasn't going to sell to that buyer at that time. And at that point, he, he, he still thought it was, and he was right, that it was, the timing was right to sell the business. And so he, he, he was going to continue uh, looking for a buyer, but we decided it was probably not a good idea to keep this uh, series of uh, columns going on while he was doing that. So he eventually did sell it, and you know the, the saga went on, but we just didn't write about it in real time. We wrote about it afterwards. And uh, so from the response that we'd gotten to this series, I, I, I thought, gee, that's very interesting that people are so fascinated with what's going on with Norm, and people have gotten like emotionally involved with this. And I, so I went to my publisher, and I said, you know, I, I, I thought there was a book there. And he, he said, yeah, why don't you write a book on exits? That's a, that could be a good book. And I said, okay, well, I guess I better start writing it. And uh, so my agent and my publisher worked out a deal and I began doing my research. Well, the first thing I realized was that what I knew about exits was one thing, namely what happened to Norm. Because ink Ink was, we never talked about, we never wrote about exits. Everything we wrote about Gross. was about starting companies, growing companies, and so forth. Um, and I, I thought, well, gee, um, I better educate myself so that I can write a book. And I, I said, how am I going to do that? I said, well, you know, I, I do know what Norm went through. I've got to interview some other people who've been through this to find out, you know, what the experience was for them. And uh, they, uh, so I began talking to people, and I wound up talking to, you know, dozens and dozens of uh, uh, owners that had uh, who had left their companies. Most of them sold their companies, and I, I really just asked everybody I knew who, who who knew somebody to to let me know, and uh, um, you know, I began getting a lot of suggestions. And I suppose the first thing that struck me was how many of the people I talked to were unhappy and wish they hadn't sold their businesses. And, you know, we're having, we're full of regrets, but there were parts of the whole experience that they didn't like. And uh, I would say it was, uh, I thought it was about half and half, but people tell me that, it, that I was probably being too conservative. It was probably more than half who had had regrets afterwards. And so I said, well, I guess that's my book. What's the difference between the ones who wind up happy and the ones who wind up, you know, full of uh, remorse about what they've done? And uh, 
so that that became the book um what I thought was amazing about that book, and we, and I want to because you've got four, and then you kind of have this asterisk slash five that are that are the reasons of what people did to be happy. But I, I think I'll, I'll explain to you both that like four and a half years of this, yeah, and hundreds of interviews, and I can pretty much say you're right. <laughs> and, you know, and even like not only doing my interviews with business owners and also advisors, I mean, it's probably half business owners and then a fourth authors and then a fourth uh, advisors. But like, there's a lot of regrets or frustrations and in like, and I actually, and then I had my business model that I was evolving over time, trying to create the business model to help solve this problem. And like the crazy part was of the absolute like visceral reaction people have about the word exit and yeah. you know and you're going to talk about why people want to like what what they need to know they need to know about themselves and why but like i've been trying to like you know essentially slide in to help educate owners and the, yeah. like it's just this like almost like two of the, the polar opposites of magnets just like bouncing away from that yeah. which is the name, the name change on the podcast, my company. And the the crazy part is, is like, I found both that the, it's, it's themselves. And I want you to explain your four and five, but like, I was never a technical finance guy. Like literally right. I was a sales guy, strategic. I'm the visionary kind of uh, DNA. And I went straight down these rabbit holes over the last four years, because I realized that to understand, to essentially have the freedom to choose, you have to understand this to understand who's sitting across from you, how the choices and the different data points connect. Otherwise it's going to just like not happen the right way. Like, it, and it's yeah. just, I don't know. Yeah. Any, as you, as you explain your four slash five, maybe give some comments about the word exit or what you've seen. Well, I've, I've, I've definitely seen that. And uh, it was one reason why we didn't mention the word exit in the title. We, it took a while to come up with the title, actually. But, uh, you know, I, it, what you're saying is exactly what John Warlow ran into, you know, because originally he called his site uh, after his book, Built to Sell. And uh, that's how he wound up starting it. And uh, he began to get some traction on that. And then, then after starting this new business, called Built to Sell, which I wrote about in Finish Big, he realized that somehow this was turning people off and that he had to he had to switch it around. And so he just he said he started calling it value builder. And it turned out that value builder, people people were fine with value builder, even though it was exactly the same content as Built to Sell. Intentional um, growth. Here I am. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's and uh uh, so, you know, you're absolutely right about that. I, I, you know, the thing I found was, as I, you know, as you mentioned that there were certain, when I, when I went, when I looked at what I'd come up with after, um, I'd done all that interviewing and sort of gone through the transcripts of the interview and really sort of thought about what it was that I, that I'd found. I realized that there were there were actually certain things that the people who had bad exits either did or didn't do that the people who had good exits did or didn't do. It was the opposite of what the people who had good exits were. And by, I had to define what, what I meant by a good exit. And I decided that 
you know, there were like four or five characteristics. Number one, that you felt like the process you'd gone through in selling the business was fair and that you'd been rewarded for what you'd put into it. And number two, which was related to that, was that you could, if, 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 if you could look back and take some pride in what you'd done, that you'd created mm-hmm. something of value to the world and, and uh, that you, 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 could, you could really take some satisfaction about how you'd spent your life. And number three, you felt fine about what had happened to all the people who'd been sort of on this journey with you. And and four, number four was that you succeeded in making a transition to whatever you were going to do afterwards. And and then for some people, there was a fifth one, which was the company was continuing to go on and 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 doing very well without you. Which you know, for some people, that was very important to have happen. Because, well, aside from everything else, it showed that you had done one of the most difficult things in business, you know, and, and t- taken your company through the biggest transition that uh, it was ever going to have, mm-hmm. namely the change of ownership and leadership, and uh, that it was. Uh, so I, I decided that was in those uh, four or five. Uh, qualities defined a good exit. A bad exit is when you didn't have one of them, mm-hmm. and it, it only took one of them to uh, give you a bad exit. So I, I then said, "Well, okay, now let's now let's now let's look and see what the people who had good exits did in order to um, have that good exit." Mm-hmm. And I came up with, uh, as you say, seven and a half different uh, qualities. Uh, You know, the first one was what you talked about, namely knowing who you are, what you want, and why. You know, which was something that I also found with Small Giants, which was another book I wrote, which was that people who have a clear idea in their own mind about who they are, what they want, and why are able to make decisions that are going to make them happy Whereas otherwise you wind up making decisions based on other people telling you what they think you mm-hmm. should do. And uh, so that was, that was number one. And then number two was that it was important to build a sellable company. And by sellable, I meant that it was uh, that your company, you were able to sell your company to whom you wanted, when you wanted and why. And no, 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 when you wanted and for an amount that you considered fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was that was certainly, uh, you know, there, there were there are some things called forced sales uh, where happens a lot. A lot of blue yeah. offers or that people go all the way down and they wish they wouldn't have. And it's it, you know, it's absolutely right. And then a third one had to do with uh giving yourself enough time uh, that, you know, as you know, Ryan, a lot of people, you know, get the, they don't want to think about their exit. And then suddenly they get to a point where they're, you know, 70 years old or whatever it is. And they realize, gee, I'm, I'm going to have to get out of here. Um, and, and they think, 
<laughs> By golly, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. and, and so they call up their lawyer, their accountant, and they say, listen, I'm ready to sell. Uh, and they say, well, when do you want to sell? And they, they usually say, well, I'd like to sell, I don't know, six months. And it's, it turns out to be not nearly enough time. And that's particularly true if the way you plan to sell requires you to have a successor. Because if you need a successor, it, it, the chances are you're going to fail the first time. The first, in, in all the people I interviewed, there was one person who, who the first time actually chose a successor who turned out to be absolutely the right successor. Everybody else uh, who did need a successor brought in somebody. A couple bruises along the way. <laughs> yeah, brought in somebody who you know, they later found out was absolutely not right. And, uh, and they had to sort of take the lessons they learned from that and go back and find another successor. You know, another, another, I guess number four was I found it was important to have the right help and the right advice. Since you're embarking on something that you've never done before, chances are you've probably never done before. And um, you don't know how to do it. It's totally different from building a business. It's a, a whole other discipline. Different and, job. Different. Yeah, it's a different job, exactly. And you need to have someone advising you about this who has been through it. And uh, that's why I became such a fan of peer groups mm -hmm. like Evolve in Chicago, you know, where you could actually, you could meet with people who were, thinking about this or who had actually gone through it themselves and could talk to each other about these very, very personal issues uh, and that you could trust them. You know, that, that, that was, uh, that I found was critically important. I mean, you know, when you sell a business, you're going to need lots of help from all kinds of professional people like, you know, lawyers, uh, insurance people, wealth managers, and so forth. But I found that it was particularly important to have some way to sort of be guided by somebody who had actually been through it themselves. Because among other things, that person understood that it wasn't over when you, when you uh, Get the wire found, found a buyer. Yeah, it, it, it actually, you still got a whole, a whole way to go before you. And then, you know, the next thing, I, I guess, I don't know what, what I'm up to. I guess the fifth thing. Uh, yeah. The, the, the fifth thing was that, um, you know, what I talked about before was the importance of thinking very, very carefully about what is going to leave you at peace, whatever happens. You know, the, the, the sale of this business is going to affect a lot of people, not just the owner who's selling. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was very important to think about in advance about how it was going to affect other people and to do by them whatever it was that you needed to do so that you're at peace afterwards. It was, it was a big thing that uh, led to people feeling unhappy afterwards. Mm -hmm was they'd look and see what happened to these other people who'd been on this journey with them all these years. And they had not, well, it had not worked out well for them. And then the owner would feel 
tremendously guilty and carry mm-hmm. that around with him or her for a long time. And then the next one was uh, really the importance of doing your own due diligence. I mean, you know, everybody knows that when somebody comes to buy a company, one of the things they're going to do is look very, very closely at your company and do a lot of due diligence. And what people sometimes forget is that they've got to do just as much due diligence on the buyer as the buyer is going to do on them because it's very important to understand why it is that the buyer wants to own your company. And buyers have different motives. I mean, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're buying your company for their intellectual property and you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily know that. And they, of course, in the process, they're telling you how great your people are and how, how, how wonderful the things you've done in the business are. But what they're really Want to want to do is uh, is get your intellectual property, and then if you haven't prepared for that, if you haven't seen that and realized that that was going to happen, then you haven't prepared adequately because things are going to happen after the sale, which you're not going to like, but you you're not you're not going to have any ability to affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. And legal documents have no no significance or very little significance in this context because if 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 the buyer starts doing things that you don't like you go to your lawyer and say well wait a minute they they said they said they wouldn't do this in the uh in the contract and the lawyer says cuz usually there's a, a a certain amount of money that's in escrow and and the lawyer usually says well you know that money you have in escrow and you say yes, and they say, well, do you want it? <laughs> and, of course, it's usually a big part of the sale. So, of course, you say yes. They say, well, then don't make waves about this because, uh, you know, you know, if you do, that's going to jeopardize your ever getting the rest of what you're owed for your company. And then the, the last one, um, really, the seventh, is which is – very, very important in many ways, the hardest part, which is making the transition. If you've spent your whole adult life or your, you know, years and years and years building this business, there are a lot of things you're getting out of it that you don't realize until you don't have it anymore. I mean, when people ask you what you do, you say, well, I run this company and, you know, here's what this company does and so forth. Or, you know, you, the the people that the people you go and see every day, you know, you, you know, you, you it's easy to take them for granted. Your social network, your identity. Yeah, it's just... Exactly. Your identity, your purpose. And suddenly all these things are gone. And if you haven't gone back to that first one of uh, figuring out who you are, what you want, and why, you're going to run smack into it at that point. You're going to find yourself saying, wait a minute, who am I? What do I want? <laughs> and why? And uh, <laughs> um, How does that impact my business, my money, the value, like everything? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, Bo, and I, and I want to I, I relay, because I, I don't know if in the, the emails that you and I exchanged back and forth, if, if you totally grasp the five principles, because I... I 
because I, and I want to explain the journey that I went on. Cause after I figured, found out your, you know, kind of the four things that happy people did. And then mm-hmm. the, the kind of the seven things that you have to really take into account. One of the things that I, I struggled with was, okay, how now, how do I actually figure out how, who I am? How do uh-huh. I actually figure out what to work on? And because it's like, it was so true. Like I read your book and I was like, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> like <laughs> not, I got my head probably, I had to go to the chiropractor pretty much. So I was nodding so much. And so the five principles were synthesized. It's probably similar to how you created these over all the years and the, the, the interviews. And it was really about trying to like, okay, what needs to be learned and consumed to make those decisions. So the first one, and then I'll, and then I'll tell you this, like how a comment of how someone would articulate this. And then I, and then I want to get into kind of the small giants and then how do we, what are ways to get through to owners? Cause I think those are some of the biggest challenges, but so the five principles came from both like, okay. And they go in order of like, so the first one is your drivers. What do you want and why? And that kind of right. right from you. And we have all these assessments of like, Hey, is it legacy? Is it identity? Is your social network? Is it disrupting industry? What like there's right. all these reasons that someone chose to do this. Right. And then someone answers these questions, but then you have to stack on which is the second principle of your, your financial targets. Uh-huh. And there's three of them. What is your target annual income? cash flow. Uh-huh. And then what is your second one is your net worth outside the business. Cause you might have tons of real estate or investments. Then the third one is the value of your company and understanding right. how that impacts your financial situation. Right. Cause then you can layer it on top of your first principle is to say, how much do I actually need? Yeah. And then, and then to be able to quantify how much I want, you know, like quantify me staying in the business, not seeing the business to a dollar amount. Uh-huh. And so that's why we dive in. We teach so much on valuations. And then the third principle are the exit options. And this is where I think things get fun and where I think what Jack stack is a, is literally a, a shining example of how someone could get all the things that they want. Uh-huh. So the five, the five exit options are one is internal. So that could be management partnerships or family. The second one is what we call acquisition entrepreneur, like a search fund. So someone that wants to come in and buy a job for the most part, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then the third one is an ESOP uh-huh. and selling to your employees. And then the fourth one is private equity. And that uh-huh. could be family office would fall into that. So, you know, professional investors. And then the fifth one is a strategic buyer. Uh-huh. And the, the concept that needs to be absolutely understood going into that is the difference between your, your leadership role and how you get paid for that versus uh-huh. your ownership stake. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because there's transitions that could be done differently on both of those. And I think what I've run into both is that so many people when they say exit, they're literally thinking I'm getting kicked to the curb and that's uh-huh. my exit. Uh-huh. However, you could literally like in this example, if what was really important to your principal one was my employees and my legacy, and I literally love this business. And then the uh-huh. financial targets, you've pretty much accomplished a lot of these and you only need maybe half your value up front. Uh-huh you could then sell to your employees where you're selling the ownership, but you're running the company till the day you die. And yeah. that's technically not an exit in the way that a lot of people think about this. So these sure. first, first three principles set up the framework to literally identify what do they want and why. And then principle four is increased value. So now you know what you want and why let's grow your EBITDA and your multiple and pay down debt in the direction that you want to go. 
Uh-huh. And then the fifth principle is hire to hire a team of advisors that are going to optimize that plan. So instead of getting, you know, going to your attorney or your CPA or wealth manager, all these people and them telling you what you think you should do, you mm-hmm. go to them and you say, Oh, here's what I want. Uh-huh. And so the, uh, my, one of my favorite phrases is this client of ours who's gone through the, uh, the digital course or who's like the boot camp digital course, he consumed the material. And he said, Ryan, I want to go from a, so he's doing 10 million in revenue right now and 1.2 in EBITDA. And he's saying, you know what? Right now, I don't want to sell to a strategic because it's right now only worth five and a half million bucks and he would only net two and a half. And he would probably have to sell to a strategic buyer that would not accommodate all the legacy things. Uh And if I can go from 1.2 in EBITDA to two, I will go from a five and a half million dollar valuation to 12. And I'll go from netting 2.5 to netting eight. And then I can do an ESOP in 36 months and sell to my employees. And then I'll have 36 months to hire my transition, my, my, my leadership role. It's very specific. And then everything falls into line with where they want to go. So that's kind of like the, how to actually dive into it. But this, the craziest challenge that I've had, which goes into like the small giants and then just teaching people, this is Uh getting through to people that are like just grinding day to day to understand this. I've spent like every waking minute for the last six years trying to figure out marketing phraseology is to get through to people. (laughs) And it's about driven me mad, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) To get through, tell me, tell me more about that, Ryan, that what do you run into when you uh, talk to people? Well, and this is what Jack Stack and I talked about. I don't know if it was on the record or off is that there's so much noise out there and like you have these owners. So like one of the biggest things is there's like, I'd say 90 plus percent of business owners have their mindset optimizing for annual income. So how many, how much distributions and how much, what's my K one going to be? How do I max or minimize my taxes? But what they're doing is they're sacrificing long-term value growth. So like, and there's so like there, I actually did this podcast recently about the psychology is actually like, it's actually sci- brain science where the flow mm-hmm. is like, it's almost like an addiction of like loving what you're doing. Right. But to think about an exit or any of this other stuff is almost like doing estate planning where people are like sure. that. So there's, right. like, you're almost fighting human behavior while also the fact that people want to, they're solving for the annual income. So our, the goal is to try and, get through to them that this actually creates a whole different paradigm shift that opens up more options. It's just been the hardest thing ever. And they'll say like, Hey, EOS is solving all my problems, which is Uh totally bullshit. I mean, Uh it's a great operating system, but it doesn't solve these problems. Right. There's, there's someone that they hired that allowed them to shut off all the, the receptivity to other things. Uh What is your thoughts? I mean, or experience with that. Well, I'm I'm actually just uh, I'm I'm thinking. Well, you 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 know, uh, Allie Taylor. Yep, she's actually coming back on the show too. You're pretty soon. Oh, good. Yeah, she should uh, because she knows a lot, and she's taught me a lot actually about sort of psychologically what it is that uh, gets in the way of people. I mean, I think that you're right that for many people, thinking about the exit is like thinking about their funeral. Um, and, uh, you've got to get beyond that because they, they, they have a hard time thinking about what's going to happen, what they're going to do afterwards. And, uh, 
Cause, and that's like assuming that they have to leave the role. And that's where I want right. to, that's a good bridge to the small giants community that you and Paul have created and yeah. Ward and what Jack's doing, because like, and, and I think, I think the one question that I asked you years ago was, can you finish big and be a small giant? And it almost literally leads you up to an ESOP <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> so. Well, you, well, actually I've been, um, I've been very involved with another group who somebody you probably on an interview is a guy named Dave Horton, who is the uh, W-H-O-R-T-O-N. And he is the founder of what's called the Tugboat Group. Hmm. And if you if you go online and you look for Tugboat Institute, you'll find it. And uh, it's it's similar to small giants, but... It, the, the difference is the, a lot of these companies are not particularly small. There, you know, there 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 are a number of people who are in both small giants and in tugboat, but there are other people who really, you know, I mean, they're they're worth billions of dollars, and that's not small. <laughs> that's not small. Um, and uh, you know. It, <clears throat> But they they have what they call the uh, seven P's, which are uh, I actually wrote about them um, in Inc. Was the last article I wrote for Inc. Uh, in 2015. They their seven P's are you know let me see if I can get this right. Purpose. I'm gonna be impressed. Purpose. Uh, people. People first. Profit as a uh, measure of uh, basically uh, added value. In other words, how well have you added value to your customers? Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What am I missing? There's something called pace growth, which is sort of what Jack does, which is not fast growth, not focusing on fast growth, but but focusing on growth over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you... You know, if you, it's if, profitable. <laughs> yeah, it's profitable, and <laughs> and and also, you know, if if you grow, you know, what ten or fifteen percent a year, or eight or ten percent a year, you may not wind up on the Inc. Five Thousand, but, but over be... <laughs> over thirty years, you're going to get to be very very big and generate an awful lot of cash. <laughs> Um, versus what well, Jack, I mean, you, you want to get Jack going, you tell him that, uh, that, uh, the pre seed valuation is $10 million. You can get him going. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Get, get, you know, a thousand percent growth with no cash. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, and then another one is what they call pragmatic innovation, which is that you, um, you, you innovate, not by throwing a lot of money at something. Uh, in fact, money sort of undermines innovation because if you can solve problems with money, you will. If you have to solve them with your own hard work and creativity, it's harder. But but that's where the lasting innovations come yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I... Um, I've been spending a lot of time with, with Tugboat, and 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 these are companies. The 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 members of it are, are known as evergreen companies, and that is companies that last for years and years and years. And that the goal 
is, you know, if you have a young company in it, these are companies that, you know, they want to last for at least 100 years and what have you. I mean, there's one company in this, in Tugboat, it's been around for 300 years. It was uh, originally chartered by the King of England, um, and uh, it's it's been in continuous existence for the same family for, I happen to be related to this family, but that's, <laughs> that is totally coincidence. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's still going strong. Obviously, if you're going to be around for 300 years, you're going to have to do a lot of innovating along the way. <laughs> well, you're not going to... so interesting, Bo, is it's like, so a couple of the things when I noted the, in the email to you asking to come back on is I read the book, Conscious Capitalism, and it yeah. like changed, I was just like, totally makes so much sense. And it's, it's really hard to find these veins in our in our culture that are like hey by the way you can make a lot of money and do a lot of good at the same time because like i thought like when i was re- reading the book or even people i've interviewed it's like the nonprofits have to go find the capital from someone else so you might uh-huh. as well create something in like the the platform you have with customers and vendors and suppliers and all the people in your community like you have a better chance in the a bigger leverage with owning uh-huh. the company, continuing to generate cash to them, a lot of nonprofits do. Uh-huh. And it's just, and so the Tugboat um, Institute sounds a lot like that. And another, another book that came out to that just validated it for me was Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. He yeah. actually mentioned the finite problems with the private equity timeline of four to seven years. And yeah. then also the quarterly reports of the the public companies, which look at it right now, we have a, four, a, a fourth or a third that they're called zombie companies. You're not making any freaking money. Uh-huh. And it's like, it goes back to what you're like, just focusing on the right things. And it's just interesting to find that there's these things starting to come out that are enough people that finally go through the process and are not happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that, you know, the, the other thing is this, is that you, you know, that if you are going to, if you if you if you are starting a company with the goal that you want it to last as an independent entity for a hundred years, one thing that you know is that you're not going to be there when it happens. So you're going to have you're still going to have to deal with the transition. Now, some of these businesses are family businesses, and you know there are a lot of great family companies out there. And basically, when I wrote Finish Big, I looked very hard for uh, companies that had lasted beyond two generations. In other words, they, they, they lasted to the third generation. In other words, it's possible to find a successor who is going to run the company, um, you know, is, let's say is going to buy the company and run it the way the original owner did. To go to a third generation is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only companies that I was able to find that ha- were able to do that were either family businesses or employee-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and my theory about that was that someone needs to be the protector of the culture and the way of doing business. And that in a family-owned business, it's the family that 
uh, it, not that all family-owned, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, not very good family-owned businesses that go out of business, but in, in, a, in a long-lasting family-owned business, the, the family plays that. Yeah, of like, of like what are our core values? Like, uh, yeah. And- and Simon Sinek, and, and without being fluffy about that too, like, I mean, Simon Sinek says that in his book and I, he actually gave some examples of some big public companies where like, if you don't have someone essentially playing whack-a-mole with all the, you know, the cancerous decisions that could pop up in a company for short-term thinking, you have to like actively, yeah. <laughs> actively go after that stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, with the, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Jack, obviously. Well, we won't see it. Uh, you're younger than Jack and I, so you may see it. But, you know, there's going to be a transition there. And people have, you know, Jack has been, he, he always polls everybody to ask them what they want. And, and even though he could probably figure it out on his own. And what they want is to keep doing what they're doing. and. Uh, and, you know, to get bigger and create more opportunities and so mm-hmm. forth. And uh, uh, at some point, there's going to be, he's going to have to leave, you know? That's all there is to it. I mean, he's not going to live forever. So um, there seems to be a general consensus, actually, that uh, that his son, mm. Tim, is the logical successor. And... Uh, He's got two sons in the business, and uh, the older one is also named Ryan. Um, he is not; he has no aspirations to uh, run the business or anything like that. And he thinks his his younger brother Tim is the person who is best equipped to do that. And there's a lot of people who sort of share that feeling. But in any event, you know, there's got to be something that keeps keeps you going mm-hmm. uh, beyond any individual. And, uh, you know, I've talked to Jim Collins about this, actually. Um, and it's one thing to do it in a public company <clears throat> because, you know, you have shareholders and you have a board of directors that's uh, fairly powerful and, and so forth. It, it's another thing to do it in a private company. And all of the companies in uh tugboat or private mm-hmm. oh that's another p that's another, yeah, there you another, go. <laughs> that's another p was private because you know he he is somebody he's an interesting guy himself because he he was he's a silicon valley venture capitalist uh he was a client of perkins he was the right hand man of uh john door at client of perkins and uh he um but he he basically believes that companies that that you have to be private in order to really have this sort of long term uh, focus. You don't have Although, analysts that are like constantly judging your quarterly earnings and right. You know. well, right. What's also interesting with that, Bo, and this is where like you know I have gone to the nth degree of diving into understanding valuations and numbers and all that stuff. Because when I kept like, as I kept pulling this thread of, is like, well, you, the, the, the friction and the, the objections I kept getting, it was because 
like once you actually understand the numbers, then you can start making decisions. And a lot of like, I read one of the the big financier books, the King of Capital with uh, the stone, uh, Blackstone's rise of private equity. Oh my right. gosh. But, the, right. but like the challenge is when you, when you're too small or certain th- or people don't understand value and they don't understand the difference between ownership versus W2 human beings just go to their lowest common denominator, which is fight for survival uh-huh. and arguing over things they don't understand, which is the value. Or like when you explain that thing with Jack stack, it's like, well, they're all owners. So like they're going to do what's best for the company instead of best for themselves. Cause they're all going to benefit from it. And so like, and I think about the problems when you get to the lower end of the spectrum where you do these without doing an ESOP, you do these internal transfers the taxes and the and how it suffocates the cash flow of the company, you almost can't at the same. Yeah. So there's just like this whole like problem of like being able to facilitate these things. That is a yeah. whole different probably interview in itself. But well, you, you know that it's one thing to give people ownership; it's another thing to teach them to understand ownership, and and that is that is hard. That takes years. And ownership isn't all wonderful. Uh, there are a lot of responsibilities that come with that comes with ownership. Uh, you know, and, and there are times when you have to do things that you may not want to do, like you may have to come up with cash uh, at a certain point and so forth. And uh, so to really understand it is, you know, I, I mean, I... I I mean, most, I think that the great game of business has become very, very widely utilized among employee-owned companies because it's basically a system for teaching um, ownership. And uh, I mean, Jack always talks about how his goal is to build a business of business people. He wants everybody in the business to be a business person. I love it. It's like the best mission. And I mean, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So as we're, as we're kind of wrapping up here, Bo, uh, you know, the big kind of question that I've had is like, how do you teach more of that? Like what Jack's, you know, like other than having Jack who owns a company who then can almost ingrain into the culture of te- teaching business people, you know, I've run into problems with the word exit and like trying to get through to people before they get an audible offer or something happens where they can truly grow value to create more options to like be able to articulate what they want. I mean, with your small giants and with these, like, how have you seen where do business owners become the most receptive to like learning? And what do you, what, what, what differentiates the people that truly like to understand what they want and how to learn these things? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I thought you had um, a, I thought you had an easy answer for me and everybody. <laughs> um, I think you know there's there's certain things that uh, it's easy not to think about, and uh, you can go a long time without thinking about them. But life has a certain way of making you think about certain things, because in fact. None of us live forever, and uh, you know there are certain questions you're you're just gonna you're gonna you're gonna be forced to answer at a certain point, even if you don't particularly want to answer them, and and that happens. Of course, if you, I I think that what you're doing, what you and your partner are doing, it can be very valuable 
to people uh, in terms of getting their heads in the right place to actually deal with all of these things. But don't mention that this is about exiting. <laughs> no, it's like it's like the most it's the most authentic, caring bait and uh, bait and switch ever, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like like this is not to sell you a, a get rich quick pill. This is a you know like hey, there's a lot of work after this, but like <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I you know I think with small giants, once a, a lot of small giants, you know they they wind up selling some stock or all of their stock to an ESOP or, or to their employees. There are some, you know, there are some companies, the ESOP isn't the only way to have employee ownership. There are other ways and some people prefer them and look for them. Um, but uh, once you start sort of getting in there, you, you, you start thinking about, well, if you're still there, and uh, your company is running fine, and it doesn't really need you anymore, which is, of course, the goal, then there are other things you can do. I mean, there are, um, there are, there's a company in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which might be a good company for you to interview. It's called Atomic Object, and their design and uh I think they're, you know, a digital and uh, design company, basically. And uh, they have instituted an employee. I know who they are. So my my friend of mine, yeah, I I know exactly who you're talking about. And they came up recently in a conversation, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Carl Erickson is. uh, (laughs) That's awesome. Are they in the small giants community? Uh, they're both in small giants and in tugboat. <laughs> uh, my friend, uh, yeah, he he's, he would know who he's talking. Who this? And that's awesome. That that's validating yeah. on a lot of a lot of fronts. And uh, well, you know, I I don't know the details of what they've done, but I do know that um, they're pretty happy with it, and I know that Carl is. Uh, you know, he's off doing lots of other things. And well, I think even to validate your point, but it, like if someone really enjoyed sales or they're an engineer and they wanted to, you know, you know, go more into design or whatever it is, if it doesn't rely on you and you've got your financial targets met, you could go back in and uh-huh. whatever you want. I mean, that's right. the whole point, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's great. This has been fun. I appreciate you so much for coming back on. And Well, I appreciate you, uh, Ryan, for everything that you're doing. And uh, actually, it's very interesting to me to hear how what you've been doing has evolved and to see how it's evolved over the years. One Thursday podcast email at a time, right? <laughs> right. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Well, if you're the, if you're a listener in right now, I know that you're kind of, you've got your own mix of things that make you happy and what you're doing day to day. But if you were to put them in touch, I don't know if it's small giants would be the best place for them to go or any of these places you got any, or, or you know, obviously get the book finished big and small giants. Any other suggestions that you'd have for the listeners? Well, every, every business is different, obviously. And as you well know, and uh, I, I, people sometimes ask me, what are, the most important management innovations that I've seen. I mean, I've been, I've, I've been, um, 
I've been doing this for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I really think that the most powerful business tool that I have ever seen has been open book management, uh, at least as it's practiced by Jack Stack at the great uh, the great game of business people get confused a little bit they think open book management just means making your numbers available to people and most people couldn't care less about your numbers i mean it's like they find it all boring and uh, you know the real challenge is to um do something like jack has done to get it's amazing yeah it is amazing is. And the second one, I, I also am a fan of of Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, and they have a visioning system, which has been, uh, which I think is very powerful. And if you haven't talked to them, you should yeah. talk to Ari, Ari Weinzweig. Um, and then I also think that things like the Net Promoter Score, which is uh, figuring out basically how to um, um, measure things that are that are difficult to measure. And I, I, I really think that those three things are, are, are really crucial. So the last question I would have for you then, Bo, is what does the word intentional mean to you? Well, I don't have any great insights into that. In, intentional means to me it's, it's something you want to do and that you uh, – plan to do and that you make an effort to do why why do you ask doesn't <laughs> the podcast and it's uh i i would say that like part of my definition so far has been when someone says what do you what's intention I'm like you understand who you are what you want and why and then you get a plan to go get it <laughs> that's it that's good that's that's great ryan this has been so fun thank you so much for coming back on bo i appreciate it well thank you ryan and we'll be in touch Well, I hope that uh, interview with Bo gets you jazzed up because I'll tell you what, I mean, that's why I've spent eight years building this business, doing this podcast, working on helping people because it's so fundamental. And if we want to do the three things, create wealth, enjoy work and have an impact, we got to figure out who we are and what we want in order to go get those things. And in order to be intentional, we have to be clear on what we're trying to accomplish. And then we can be deliberate and purposeful with the actions we're taking to get there. And the business and growing a valuable business will create the choices that we have, that that we want in order to make sure that we don't have to sacrifice the things that we want. And so I would recommend go taking the intentional growth financial assessment which has got uh, 22 questions. You don't need your financials. It clarifies, you know, essentially where you're at today financially, and then what does it look like in how to build that path forward? Because I believe if you answer the questions Bo was talking about, which is who you are, what you, you want from your business and why, you can look at your financials and your strategic plan and say, here's how that impacts what I want. And then you can use that as a framework for decision-making. So thanks so much for tuning in. Next week, we are going to be uh, having Dr. Stacey Finder back on the show. And we're going to be talking about how to identify your mental blind spots, become more self-aware, and then understanding your stakeholder ecosystem. Because the moment you can figure out these two, uh, essentially yourself and your stakeholders, then you can label it. 
you can quantify it and then understand how to navigate your your inner desires and your ego and the, all the different motivations and stakeholders within your within your business and your ecosystem so that way as you're moving forward you know how to handle the decisions and the interactions that you have with everybody very very excited about that next episode so thanks for tuning in and i will see you next week